As we're in the Word today, we're going to pick up at verse 14. This is the third week in chapter 13. We normally, at times, will take just one chapter per Sunday, but we have really slowed down with, verse, with chapter 13. And I think chapter 14 will also be one of those special chapters that we, we just kind of go into slow motion to make sure we don't miss the important parts of what's happening there. But here we pick up in verse 14, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue, sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Let's put this in perspective for just a moment. Let's remember from the last two weeks that we've talked that Antioch and Pisidia was about 100 miles inland to the north. It's in the, mount, it's in the mountain region. It's 3,600 feet up. So they are walking 3,600 feet, 100 miles, okay? Uh, let's also remember that this is, they're coming into, Pisidia is in the, the region of Galatia. Remember, Paul wrote one of his letters to the churches in Galatia. And so what he says to the church in Galatia was about his visit there. And so that would include this time in Pisidia. So he's, Paul is really trying to challenge uh, the, the Jews first and then the Gentiles to receive Jesus Christ as Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so what, is he, what he's doing is fulfilling his calling. This is what he was called to be, a missionary. This is his first missionary journey. And as he sailed to Cyprus, uh, he came face to face with a sorcerer, a man by the name of Elemas, who opposed Paul and Barnabas and tried to turn a very important Roman governor against them as well. The governor was very intrigued by the message of the gospel. And this, this man, Elemas, tried to keep detracting he was trying to distract uh, the governor from listening to the word. Paul had enough of it. Now we're talking about a man who's called of God to go and preach. And here he has to face this guy who's opposing him. So he says this in Acts 13 verse 10, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable, unable to see the sun for a time. Paul knows all about that, right? Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon this man, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, this, this governor believed, and when he saw what had occurred, for he was astounded, not at the fact that Elemas was blinded, he was astounded, it says, at the teaching of the Lord. God had penetrated his heart with the gospel. And by the way, to this day, uh, archaeologists have uncovered uh, a, a, a stone that literally had this Roman uh, proconsul, Sergius, his name and his family's name on it, and it said that he was a believer. So this is absolutely accurate to real history. That's what the scripture is. So next, they, they, they travel by boat to back to the mainland from, from uh, Cyprus. 
They come to Perga, just short of the region of Galatia. I don't know if we are able to put up on the screen the, uh, the map from last week. Uh, Erica, <laughs> she had to jump up and run over. She'll bring it up for us. But you get the picture as it comes on the screen of the travels of Paul and Barnabas. And so, so now they're just in this southern region of Galatia, okay, on the mainland. And they find themselves deserted by their ministry assistants. So first they get out of, they, they get to the island of Cyprus where they're ministering and a guy's trying to oppose them. They have to deal with that mess. Then a guy gets saved, okay? Then they head back over across the Mediterranean. They come into uh, uh, just a beautiful area right on the, on the med and, and, and they get news from their ministry assistant, John Mark, that he's going to desert the, 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 the ministry. He's going to leave the journey. He's not going to continue on with them. This is a great setback to Paul and to Barnabas. And then, uh, if that's not enough, now they look ahead in their journey, just two of them instead of three, and they've got to traverse you know, a mountain, 3,600 feet up, over 100 miles walking journey. All of this is happening to a man who has committed his life to Christ and is doing the will of God. Where you might think that following God is easy, it's nothing like easy. Following and obeying Christ every day in your life, you might not be traversing mountains in Florida, but if you're being faithful to God, you are communicating His word to others. You're loving people who at times are unlovable. You go into a workplace where the boss is unethical, and yet you try to carry out an ethical approach to your job. It, it, being a Christian, even in America, even in Florida, to stand for Christ. And we have a governor who, who is a God-fearing governor. A lot of states don't have God-fearing governors. But even in our state, with a God-fearing governor, the reality is you will face persecution if you're faithful to the Word of God. It, it just, that's what you signed up for when you became a Christian. Christian's not for, for uh, weaklings. It takes great strength and courage in the Lord to walk in the faith. And so they arrive in Pisidia, they finally get up to the top of the mountain, and there they see Pisidia, they go to the synagogue. That Paul had a history of going straight to the synagogue. He'd make a beeline when he'd come into a new town. Uh, the, to have a synagogue, you had to have 10 Jewish men living in that area. If you had 10 Jewish men, you could have a synagogue. So obviously they had more than 10 Jewish men in this town. So he went straight for the synagogue to preach first to the Jews. God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved from the Old Testament. Jesus Christ came from the Jews. He goes to the Jews to share the message of the gospel of Christ, to try and help the Jews understand the gospel. And, and interestingly enough, when he gets there, they say to him, brothers, do you have a word of encouragement for us today? Dude, he just climbed a mountain. He just lost his, 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 his assistant, deserted him. He just found opposition on the island of Cyprus, and you're asking if this guy's got a good word? Paul said, I always have a good word for the Lord. It's interesting, when you talk to people, they'll walk up, hey, how are you doing? Oh, yeah. you know, they lower their head, oh, and they sing that woe is me song. Uh, the reality is, if you're being honest, if you're, if you're walking with the Lord, here's the reality. 
It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. With God, it's all good. Even the difficult days, even the days of facing sorrow and death in your family. Listen, when you walk with the Lord, because He is, all is well. We need to remember that. We should always have an encouraging word to share. That's why we titled this whole chapter 13, Onward Christian Soldiers. No matter what you face, you keep moving. That's not just for Paul and Barnabas, that's for us. Ministering for the Lord requires serious courage. What was it Paul said? Because the reality is, Paul's not shocked by any of the bad things that happened. He's not shocked by the trials, the setbacks, the opposition. He's not shocked. Why? Because God told him in the very beginning when he sent Ananias to Paul, he said, tell the guy he's going to suffer many things for my name's sake. So Paul, right out of the gate before he ever was in the ministry, knew that his calling was to suffer. You say, yeah, but that was Paul. What about me? I'm suffering and God didn't tell me that. Yes, he did. Jesus said to all of us, in this world you'll have what? Much tribulation, a lot of trouble. But be of good cheer in the midst of the trouble, because I have overcome the world. Because you have me, you have everything you need to get through this life. Wow, so we're not much different than Paul. We shouldn't be. And so Paul shared a good word. He shares a good word. By the way, 2 Corinthians, write it down. You don't have to turn there. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul said, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness. I'm, in, I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardships. I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with calamities. For when I am weak, in this passage it says, then I am strong. It's out of my weakness that I'm leaning on Jesus, and out of that leaning on Jesus, I'm strong. I can get through anything. I, I, I'm saying that today with full knowledge of specific instances in our congregation that are happening. Someone who's going in a week from Tuesday for surgery, serious surgery. Someone who this Friday will be at a, at a parent's memorial service in Georgia. Someone else who has surgery coming up on Thursday. Major surgery. I'm talking about situations that our people are facing that are significant. And yet I want to say to you in the love of Jesus, you are not alone. Your Lord is with you. More than that, he's in you. You keep your eyes on him. He will bring you through whatever you face sometimes bringing us through literally comes to a point of death well it's going to happen to all of us right god is still with you in death jesus said because you believe in me you will never die how's that my body is gone but your spirit never died you went right from the consciousness of this life into the consciousness of the presence of God. You never broke consciousness. That's what Jesus was talking about. You'll never die. If you've lost a loved one, they never died if they knew the Lord. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. 
Not, what I'm, not because I'm saying it. It's good because of the principle, the truth behind it, right? So when he arrived in Pisidia, they attended worship at the synagogue, and the leader said, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul took the opportunity to do more than just stand up and say a few good words, which is what a lot of times we see happening in churches. Pastors get up, and they just share a few good words. Oh, no, no, no. Paul preached the gospel. So look at this. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God. Okay, who's he talking about? First of all, he's talking about the Israelites that were there at the synagogue, and he's also talking about the Gentiles who had a great desire to know more about God through Judaism. They were not fully converted to Judaism, but they certainly are interested, okay? Verse 17, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. Paul immediately makes a beeline for the Old Testament. Why? He's talking to Jews. The Jews love the Old Testament. They love the stories of their forefathers, their patriarchs. So Paul makes a beeline. He starts talking about it. And he said, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he, held, he led them out of it. And about 40 years, after about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. <laughs> and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet came. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David. God raised up, not the people. God raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. This is the sermon. Paul is identifying with the Jews because he himself is one. And now he's telling them, he's repeating for them their own history that they know full well. And he's identifying with them. They are identifying with him. But then all of a sudden, he talks about after the son of Jesse, or after David, we see this offspring that God has brought to Israel, a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Now he moves from talking about the wonderful days of the Old Testament, he moves to a prophetic discussion about the Messiah that all the Jews were waiting for. They did not think Jesus was Messiah, so they didn't treat him as Messiah. They wanted him to be the Messiah. They came out and they celebrated on the, the, the triumphal entry at the beginning of Passover, thinking he would set up an earthly kingdom and rule and kick the Romans out of Jerusalem. He didn't do it. He went to a cross and he died. He's no savior. He's not the Messiah. And Paul is trying to help them understand, yes, he is the Messiah. Notice Paul addresses both these men. And then he begins to give a survey of Israel's history. He talked about God chose the patriarchs, God delivered the Jews from Egypt, the time of the Jews spent in the wilderness, how they entered the promised land, and the time of the judges, and then the creation of a monarchy. And guess who sits on the throne forever? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. By the way, the whole Bible, let me just say this to you, the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, is about Jesus. The Jews deny that to this day. 
There are believing Jews who believe it, but, but the Jews as a whole have denied that Jesus, the Bible's about Jesus. But this is the message of the Bible. This, this Bible that we have in our hands, this is his story. This is history about Jesus. So while preaching, Paul is connecting the dots for the Jews in order to show Jesus as the goal of history. And you and I are found in Jesus. Therefore, guess what? We're part of God's great plan of redemption as well. The fact that you're saved today, you are part of God's wonderful plan of salvation if you've received him. Verse 24, before his coming, John had proclaimed the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. By the way, John the Baptist, who shows up early in the Gospels, he's the last of all the prophets. The prophets didn't end in the Old Testament. John the Baptist in the New Testament is the last of the prophets, and he's the one who points the way to Jesus. Okay? And as John, verse 25, was finished, finishing his course, as John the Baptist, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand his utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them, he fulfilled them by the, by, they fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. Paul, or I'm sorry, Ray talked about that as we were taking communion. Jesus never sinned. They found trumped up charges and they brought him before the Romans for him to be crucified. This was even true, uh, even though the, they lived in Jerusalem and were rulers among G the Jews, uh, they were the ones who rejected Jesus. Verse 29, and when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. And it's interesting, they called it the tree, the cross, they call it the tree, that he was crucified on a tree. In calling the cross a tree, Paul drew from the idea that's given to us all the way back in the Old Testament. Again, he's speaking to a bunch of Jews, so they relate what he's saying. They know what he's saying. In Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 3. So if you want to turn there, or not turn, but if you want to write it down, Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 3, 23, where it says that God curses a person who is hanged from a tree. God literally put the curse of our sin on his own son who never sinned. There it is. The Old Testament prophesied of Christ as the Messiah. In Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You were cursed of God. And God put the curse from you onto Jesus. And Jesus died for us. It says, it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Verse 30, but God raised him up from the dead. Amen. Aren't you glad for verse 30? But God, we're sinners, we're destined for hell, we're cursed. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. He's telling the Jews there were Jews who saw Jesus after the resurrection. 
And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers. Good news. Here it is. This is this he has fulfilled to us their children uh, by raising Jesus as he also as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, capital S, the second person of the Trinity. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption for David after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. The reason Paul said that was because as he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus and going back to an Old Testament text, a prophet who spoke about Jesus not seeing decay, he knew that they would think because it was David who wrote it in the Psalms that David was writing about himself. That was about David. I know he goes, no, no. David saw corruption. David's still in his tomb. This is not about David. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Verse 30, again, but God. We could stop right here in this message and we could lay it out for you. This is the beautiful thing. This is the gospel. You and I were destined for hell. But God, in his love, in his mercy, and with grace, he saved us from our sins. He gave you a different outcome. What a wonderful word to hear right after hearing bad news. The, G, uh, Paul has given them bad news. You're the ones that put, your, your people put him on the cross. You're the ones that killed the Messiah. That's bad news. But God, here comes the good news. If you've never shared the bad news with people, that they are cursed with sin, and there's no way they will see heaven as sinners, then how in the world are they to know the good news? If all we give people is the good news, oh, Jesus loves you. They don't know why he loves me. They don't know the condition of their own heart. They, people walk away going, because I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven. That's, that's the number one answer when you ask someone in the world, what makes you think you will one day be in heaven? Because I'm a good person. I've done good things. I give money to the poor. I help. Blah, blah, blah. We go on and on with our works. They will face the ultimate rejection of God one day. I don't wish that on anybody. In fact, God himself said, I don't wish that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. God wants them to repent of that sin that they've committed so that they can be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what is it that makes the blood of Jesus so important? Listen, if it's just the blood of a good person, a person who lived a righteous life, it wouldn't be enough. Why? You've got to meet God's standard, God the Father in heaven. What human being that's ever lived, lived up to God's standard, never having sinned, even better, never having been born a sinner, because you inherited the sin of Adam. There is nobody that can save you from your sins on this earth. It had to be Jesus who was sent from the Father. And God is the one by the Holy Spirit 
who put that seed in Mary, in the woman. Listen, the father, Joseph, on earth, he did not have relations with Mary at that point in time. She was pregnant because the Holy Spirit came upon her. That's the most unique pregnancy the world's ever known. Ladies, I know you think your pregnancy was so unique and special, and it was, but not that good. I know you think your child is just the most wonderful blessing to the world, your children. I know we feel that. Uh-uh. Mary's got the trump card. I gave birth to God. Wow. Wow. That's why you need Jesus to be God and not just a man. Because he's got to meet God's standard. And God had to send his own son from heaven who was with him in the beginning to earth in the form of a human being so that we could be saved from our sins. Only Jesus could pardon us, could substitute for us in our sinfulness. I, I don't know how to make the gospel any clearer than that, and certainly that's what Paul's done here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that truly he is the Son of God and his work on the cross was a holy work done by the Father. You don't come out of the grave unless God raises you. Nobody has the power to raise themselves, right? Jesus did not raise himself. He died physically. It was God the Father who raised him. God the Father raised him. Verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, because of I've shared the gospel with you, because of all of this, and you're rejecting the message, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from, from which you, have, you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Everything you think you've done according to the law of Moses means nothing before God the Father. The only way you can find redemption is through Jesus Christ the Son. Now that's the good news. Amen? And after hearing the bad news, we need this kind of good news. In verse 40, Beware therefore, lest what is said in the, pan, uh, in the prophets uh, should come about. Here it is. Here's what the prophets said. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a, a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And so, here you have... Paul saying, the prophet said you wouldn't listen. I'm giving you an opportunity today to listen and receive salvation. But the prophets say, you're not ready to listen. That's a quote from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. So what's the Lord about to do? What is it that God's going to do? That because of who Jesus is and what he did for us, forgiveness is offered to us freely in Jesus. We can be justified from all sin. We can be justified from all sin. Praise God for that. Amen? The law of Moses can't do that. Never could and never will. It has to come through Christ. We can never justify ourselves before God. To think so assumes that God grades on a curve, a measure that bends according to our human weakness. And that's what people do. We look at ourselves and we compare. 
We always can find people that are better than us, so you don't compare to them. You find the people that are below you, that you think are below you. Well, I'm not like him. That was what the Pharisee said when he went to the temple to pray. He looked over, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like this heathen over here, this tax collector. What a wicked slave he is to the Romans. And then the wicked tax collector, knowing he's wicked, on his knees, can't lift his head and his eyes to heaven, rips his shirt, beats his chest, and he cries out to God, Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus, the one that told that story, said, guess which one left justified? It wasn't the guy pointing the finger at others, thinking that in himself he had done good works. It's the guy who knew that his good works were never good enough to meet God's standard of righteousness. And he cried out to God for mercy, for forgiveness. Some people refuse to embrace salvation of Jesus because they think they got to save, they got to get saved the old-fashioned way. You got to earn it. I, Literally, I've had people down through the years who would say to me in some form or fashion, they'd say, well, preacher, because we live 21 years down south, we've lived, I don't know, 17 years, 16 years here. It, it never fails. People that I meet in the community, and they'll say to me at some point, you know, preacher, one day I'm going to come to your church, but I need to get my life in order first. <laughs> you heard people say that. You said that, probably some of you. When I get my life all figured out and get it all straightened up, I'm going to come to your church. You'll never get your life together. Your preacher can't get his life together. We're all sinners. It's not the work that you need to do. It's the work that Christ has already done for you. Just receive it by faith. Walk in it. <laughs> oh, that cracks me up. The, the excuses that we make. Forgiveness takes care of our sin debt, but being justified by faith in Christ gives us the righteousness of God. You didn't just get forgiven when Christ died on the cross. You weren't just forgiven. You received God's righteousness in its place. Not because you were a good person. You were a sinner. Listen, the reason that God blesses us with his righteousness is not because we've earned it. It's because we desperately need it <laughs> so then paul gives a warning that if they don't embrace the person and work on uh, and the work of jesus they will perish again he's actually quoting a passage from habakkuk regarding the judgment that came upon jerusalem in 586 bc because the jews rejected uh, god god sent in the babylonians and they literally leveled the temple if God judged them, he will also judge those who refuse and reject his offer of forgiveness through the work of Christ. Even though we today are living in an age of great grace, God is still a God of great judgment. Oh, I hope you hear this. Is God a God of love? Yes. We heard the verse earlier, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise from God. God is a God of love to extend to you the opportunity to be saved and then to do the saving. <laughs> you can't even save yourself. God does the saving for you. But listen, 
Please hear this. If you don't receive that message, the only thing left for you to receive is the judgment of God. To a lost world, let me say this. This is so, it sounds so harsh. It's in the Bible. It's not me. This is scripture, okay? If you don't know Christ, if you're in the world and you don't know Christ personally as your Savior, you need to think about your greatest threat in this world. It's not the Russians. It's not a nuclear bomb. It's a person. You say, oh, Satan, he's my greatest threat. You would be wrong if you think that. If you are without Christ, you have rejected the message of the gospel. God himself is your greatest threat. And you will die in your sins, and he will send you into an eternity in hell. You say, wait a minute, Satan's the one that's in hell. He's in charge. He's go I'm, I'm, I don't want to spend eternity with him. No, Satan's not in charge in hell. When Jesus returns, he takes Satan and throws him into the pit. Satan is not the sovereign of hell. God is. And God is the one who judged you unrighteous in your good works. And you will spend eternity in hell. And God put you there. Not because he wanted to put you there. Because you rejected the only way that you could be saved. And he's the one that made the way. He has the plan of redemption for you. Don't reject it. So Paul delivers this strong message to the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles in Pisidia. What's the result? Let's quickly look at that as we close our time. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them next week when they come to Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. I love this. Paul preaches the gospel. He preaches the scripture, all of it, Old and New Testament. And what, what's the outcome? People got saved. How do people get saved in 2022? I'll tell you how they get saved. They get saved under preaching and reading of the scripture where the truth does the saving. Not because somebody's a cool cucumber who has a silver tongue and who can woo people to salvation. No person gets saved by a preacher. There's no sermon good enough to save you. It's not the sermon. It's the word of God that was proclaimed faithfully. The Bible says that the word will not return void. It doesn't say the preacher's words. It's the word of God that does the work of salvation. It brings you to a knowledge, to an understanding of the truth. And now you are able by the Holy Spirit drawing you to be saved. Praise God. It's not us. And people got saved that day. But that's not the end of the story. Wouldn't that be wonderful if it had a beautiful fairy tale ending? It doesn't. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. This is Galatia, by the way, the region that Paul wrote to. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy 
and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. The Jews hated him for preaching that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus was raised from the dead, that God actually has put upon Jesus uh, his judgment. They hated that because they trusted in the works of the Old Testament law. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, the Jews. Although the thrust of Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles, yet he always would go to the Jews first. Because he's a Jew, he wanted his people to know Jesus. Unfortunately, the Jews here rejected the message of Jesus. Verse 46, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves, look at that, look at what he said, you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Do not think that somebody did it to you, that they caused you to go to hell. No, God gave you a way out of hell. You judged yourself. You made your own decisions of what righteousness is and what wickedness is. You set it according to a curve that fit your lifestyle. So you actually judged yourself to hell as, as, as opposed to surrendering to the gospel of Jesus. By the way, if any person goes to hell, it's because you put yourself there. I don't know how to say it more clearly. Nobody goes to hell unfair. It's unfair. It's unjust. It's very just. Verse 46, Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now, man, that's incredible. We tried to tell you, the Jews, God's people, his chosen holy dear love, you rejected, so we're going to turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. That was the calling on Paul, a missionary to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. We got we to look at that now. Hang, hang on a second. As many as were appointed to eternal life believe. That's what the Bible says. This is one of Scripture's clearest statements on the sovereignty of God, even in salvation. God chooses man for salvation, not the other way around. John 6, 65. Let me you write it down. John 6, 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Nobody can come to Jesus unless it is granted him by the Father. Ephesians 1.4, even as he, the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we ought also to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as, you are, as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Even faith itself that you possess to be saved, even the faith that you have, God gave you that measure of faith. When I tell you, you, you did nothing to save yourself. First of all, you're dead in your sins. How can you save yourself? You say, well, I remember the day when I chose to turn and follow Jesus. Really? Let me read a scripture for you. John 6, 44, no one can come to me 
unless the Father who sent me draws him. Nobody. You might think you were the one that did all the turning and did all the work to come to Jesus. You did not. God came after you. It is so important that we have a proper perspective of the sovereignty of God in salvation. It's so important. Why? Because if I contributed to my salvation and then I do something wrong, now i got to wonder, well, I did enough good to be saved, to save myself, but now I've messed up. Uh, it just takes away all my salvation. I'm in trouble. Uh -uh. But if God's the one who saved you, you are eternally secure. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just pay for your past sins. He paid for your past sins, your present sins, and you will sin, and your future sins. You're covered. Verse 49, and, when the, Lord, and the word of the Lord was spread, uh, spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Okay, that is a statement. When it says, whenever the Bible says, remember Jesus told his disciples, when you go into a home and they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. Shaking the dust off your feet is a statement of condemnation. The Jews hated the Gentiles so much that they wouldn't even walk in the path of a, of a Gentile on the streets of Jerusalem. And if they crossed the path, if they touched the path that the, that the Gentile was on, they would stop and shake the dust off their feet. They would not allow a Gentile to enter their home. If a Gentile came into their home, they had to shake the dust off their feet. Now Paul is turning it on the Jews and saying, just as you despise the Gentiles, I want you to know that God has opened the door for the Gentiles. And now we who are going after the Gentiles are shaking the dust off of our feet of you, the Jew. Because you think you're so smart, you think you're so righteous, you're haughty, and it's ugly in the sight of God. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What a great ending to a tough chapter. In the end, with all the trials set back in opposition, yet the disciples were filled with joy, rejoicing, and they were filled with the Spirit. They were walking with the Lord. And more disciples had come to Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Listen, that should be your life every day day you're going to fall short don't worry you're covered but every day you ought to be sharing christ facing rejection if they reject you shake a little dust off but some will believe amen father thank you so much for your love thank you for your mercy and your grace that allows us to be saved what a incredible plan of redemption and the Bible says that you established that plan of redemption from the foundation of the world. It didn't just start when Adam and Eve sinned. You knew they would sin, and you knew that you would save us through your son Jesus who created the world. All of it was your plan. Salvation is totally yours. 
All that we can do is simply surrender to your plan. And today, Lord, there's people here. May they surrender to you in a special way. Amen.